You know, I love, I love Christmas time. I love everything about Christmas time. I love how my wife decorates before Thanksgiving for Christmas time. I love all the red in my home. We listened to a, a poem, uh, po- of Poets in Autumn, I believe they are, and it's about the color red and how red became her favorite color. Wow, what an amazing poem. But I love Christmas time. I, love, I also love the green. I love our celebrations as a family. I love our celebrations as a church. And I love when we have opportunity to go caroling. It, I, I, my heart's a little grieved in all honesty because when we go caroling these days, not too many people welcome you with open arms. It's, you're standing there singing. It's like, oh, I guess the courteous thing is to say thank you. And then they quickly close the door. Wow. One of my favorite hymns, though, is the hymn Joy to the World. We actually sang it today. And it says very simply in the, in the beginning, joy to the, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. My question is, where is the joy? Joy to the world. But I, we, we've got to step back and we've got to ask, where's the joy then? There's thousands of abortions done every day. There's physical and sexual abuse that's rampant, sex trafficking off the charts. The divorce rate, even within the church, continues to escalate. There's financial and relational problems. They abound. And yes, death still comes to our loved ones. Where, church, where is the joy? Especially at Christmas time. Now, last week, I preached on joy in this series, Irrepressible Joy. And we looked at how the world many times will want us to become very introspective and somehow find that joy within us, that that we're special, that we can be a better you, that you can be a better you. I'm not going to be a better you, that you can be a better you. And we're, we're called, we're asked to look within ourselves to find this joy. But the truth is we came to the conclusion that when I look inside myself, apart from Christ, all I find is brokenness. But there's an answer, and that's what Christmas is about. Christmas, when Christ was born, we find the answer in him. Where do we find this answer? When we look all around us and we find nothing but brokenness. Hallmark movies. Ah, We watch Hallmark movies every Christmas. We like to watch Hallmark movies, and I use that, I put that word like in quotes, because we are on a continuum. Those who enjoy it, and those who say, really, mom, again? I'm somewhere in between. I haven't decided yet. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. Since a house divided will fall, we watch them anyway, right? There's one particular Uh, theme that runs through some of these, and that is that the girl has got to help the guy, and it's generally found that way, he's got to help the guy find the spirit of Christmas, right? Whatever that is. And it's generally because he had a bad experience growing up with Christmas, or that his girlfriend broke up with him, or fiance, generally fiance, broke up with him on Christmas Day, 
We watched one very similar to that recently. And we are told then that if you could just find the spirit of Christmas, you'll have a wonderful Christmas and joy will be in your life. Now, you can tell I'm kind of mocking Hallmark Christmas movies. I understand. But they're not completely bad. It's just that Hollywood, <clears throat> Hollywood's definition of love, they say heals all wounds. But romance doesn't truly bring everlasting joy. I mean, hats off to Disney in their movie Frozen, in which true love is not just simply found in romance, but it's found in love between sisters, two sisters in particular. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying, I, it is not that love is not the answer to joy. The problem is that love always, always occurs between two people, at least on this earth, who are broken. And so here we are. We're trying to find this joy in love between two broken people. And so Hallmark wants us to say, hey, you just find romance, and that's the end all. You've got joy, right? Or the spirit of Christmas, which, of course, is wrapped up in love. But this is what the world offers. And, and, and even, not just romance, but love between two sisters. I love that concept, but it's two sisters who are broken. In my marriage, I know of at least one of them who is broken. Okay, And then I'm pointing, if you're just listening, I'm pointing to myself if you're wondering. I know that I am broken, and I bring into my marriage a brokenness and yet I am expecting to find everlasting joy? There has got to be an answer outside of myself to discover this joy because I believe that, that, that him is right, joy to the world. So where am I going to find this joy? Where do we find this joy? Micah chapter 5, I want to start with verse 2. I'm reading through uh, a portion of verse 5. This passage was quoted to King Herod when the Magi came to him and said, hey, we're searching for this one born king of the Jews. And, and Herod looks at him and he says, dudes, I am the king of the Jews. You don't need to look any further. And obviously they were. Of course, they went to Jerusalem because that's the capital of Israel and the stars leading them there. But who is this king? And the guy says, one who is born king of the Jews. And Herod was not, Herod actually was an Edomite. He was not born king of the Jews. That was something given to him. He was wondering, who is this? Who is this that would usurp my authority? And so he asked the scribes, hey, where is this Christ, this Messiah, this destined king of the Jews? Where is he supposed to be born? And they actually read to him, this passage I'm going to read to you now, but I'm going to read a little bit further. So I want us to see something. But Micah chapter 5, verse 2, one more set. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will, who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. From ancient times, 
Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. Church, you will live securely, he says, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say the, the reputation, but his actual greatness, displays of his greatness will extend, will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. You see, this is a picture of this Messiah being born as a king. He's going to rule, and he is going to shepherd his flock, the Israelites. But Israel, he's saying, this is his promise, Israel will be abandoned until that time in which he is born. And then something amazing is going to happen. This shepherd will be born. He's going to rule, and he is going to take all of those who would trust in him, and he promises them safety. But it's not just that they have to do something for safety. It's not that they are going to find safety outside, looking around, trying to, okay, is it that we have to defeat the Romans? Is this the type of safety that I am promised? Where does he find? Where do we then find safety? Look right there. And he will be their peace. You've, you've heard of the Hebrew word shalom. It's actually many times a greeting, shalom, shalom. And we translate it generally peace. But that word shalom is really, a, it's an all-encompassing word. It means so much more than just peace. And we need to discover what it is that's really being said here to get the point. This word shalom, it means safety. It means well-being, as in health. It means happiness. It means completeness, prosperity. Do you see how broad this word is? Contentment, peace. I'm going to ask you, do you really want joy? Because that joy, it's got to come from here, but it's not me-focused. As we've discovered last week, it is because there is a deposit that God has put inside here that he has mended this broken heart. And so when we talk about joy, I'm going to suggest to you to this, that, that we need to find it in this peace that's being promised here. But peace is not found in something out there. Peace is going to be found in a person. It's going to be found in a person. It's going to be found in this Messiah. It's not going to be found in a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's not going to be discovered or experienced by the spirit of Christmas. And it is certainly not going to be found by medicating your problems. Church, is it not true that when the world struggles, now when I talk about the world, I can sometimes, I'm going to include Christians in that, and I, sh I shouldn't need to, but we tend to do what the world does. 
We tend to be like sheep that doesn't follow the shepherd, but we follow the nearest thing to us. And we can look so many times just like it. You know how the world finds peace and how they find joy? They medicate it. They medicate for it. If I'm not happy, what, can I ask you this? If you're not happy, what do you do? Many times we go out and we buy something new. We go to Amazon.com, and that is my joy. We have a party, and sometimes in that party, people get drunk, and we're constantly looking to find this joy. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, if this thing that I'm finding, this fix that I'm finding, maybe if I just apply it to my life, maybe if I take it, I'll find joy. And it will medicate this ache in my soul for the first time that I'm aware of. States throughout the United States of America have passed a law welcoming medical marijuana into their homes. And what you discover is that by doing this, you have welcomed a grab bag of good and bad. And there are two main chemicals, the CBD and the THC. And the CBD is what sells so that the THC is what gets on the market. I think I'm being fair in how I'm characterizing this. And when we as Floridians went to vote for, on medical marijuana, we were touted all of the wonders of medical marijuana. But what it really was was the CBD that doesn't get you high. The THC does. And what I'm saying is this. For the first time, we have passed a law so that if you're depressed, you can legally get high to fix your pain, your pain, whether physical or emotional pain. We have never done this. We have never said, as Americans, let me give you the answer. It's getting high. I'm being blunt right now. Because the marijuana industry does not want it spoken about so plainly. But that's really what we have done. As Americans, we medicate our problems. We medicate our pain. And we're constantly, constantly looking for joy. And we're not finding it. Micah tells us. Do you want this shalom, this contentment, this peace? This peace is found in a person, not in pot. This peace is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and it is not found outside. All of these things that we're constantly looking for in society. And Hallmark would say, oh, just romance. And you'll live happily ever after. P please don't hear what I'm not saying. I love romance. I love love. But we're broken. And even on the best day, we still get robbed of that joy. Remember we sang, we sang that song, joy, unspeakable joy, rises in my soul, never lets me go. You see, we are looking for joy not because 
not because it has been taken from us that we've been robbed of, but because we have let it go. As Christians, joy has been given to you. Joy is your birthright. It is part of your inheritance from being in Christ because it is Christ who is your peace. Peace is found in a person. So consequently, if we have lost our joy, it is because we have let go of it. It has not let go of us because it, excuse me, is a person. We have taken our eyes off of who is that source of joy. And we have set it on our problems. And we have set it on all of these lies of the enemy. I feel alone. Conclusion, I am alone. I feel abandoned. Remember Psalm 13 that we looked, David said, I, I feel abandoned. Conclusion, God has abandoned me. See, that's a lie. And I am constantly experiencing life's difficulties, but I let go of the truth and I embrace a lie that I let go of my joy. If you're looking for joy today, you are going to find it in a person who will not let you go. The question is, will you let go of it? I want to go just a little bit deeper here. To do that, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. Thank you for two cups. I'm heading into it. <laughs> you ever want good hot tea? You ask Donald there. Thank you, bro. Luke 2. This is about the birth of Jesus. I'm going to start right there where shepherds are abiding in the field. Verse 8. And it says, and, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Confession. If I were one of them, I would be terrified too. Just about everyone who encounters an angel of the Lord, perhaps with the exception of Mary, were terrified. Even Zechariah, in the very same chapter, he was terrified when he saw the angel of the Lord. The glory and the majesty of God, right there in their midst, my knees will be knocking. And it says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Can I just tell you this? I've heard many stories about angels appearing to people, and the first words out of the mouth of the angel is rarely, don't be afraid. And I have to wonder if that was really an angel appearing to him. You know what I mean? Because almost every time when an angel of the Lord appears, for, appears in front of you, it, it's, it's terrifying. This is the very glory and majesty of God emanating from this angel of the Lord. I digress. Don't be afraid, he says. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. I want to note just a, a few things here. Number one, isn't it interesting that this one born as king of the Jews, Jesus, that the very first witnesses were shepherds, especially in view of Micah 5 that we just read, that this ruler would shepherd his people. And so who, is the, who are the first ones to come and be eyewitnesses? Who are those, that first group that an angel declares, this is one who is going to be the savior of the world, shepherds. And so I, I just find it somewhat ironic that the very first people that the good news is announced to are shepherds because the one born to them would be their shepherd. But I want us to see something else here. It says, this great joy is found in the good news. Now, if I were to translate this to you literally, it would say, I proclaim the gospel of great joy. Literally translated, that's what it's saying. I proclaim the gospel of great joy. Do you know what the gospel is? Yes, it's, it's good news. Literally, it, yeah, it's good news. But this joy is going to be found in the gospel. That's good news. It's found in the gospel. What, what, what is, then, the gospel? The gospel is Jesus, is Savior, Christ, and Lord. See, he was born to mend my brokenness. That is the good news. The good news is the brokenness that keeps you from constantly experiencing this joy because it takes your eyes off of the joy giver. It takes your eyes off of the truth and sets it on lies. But I'm going to tell you this, when you let go of your joy, it will always be for that one reason. You have taken your eyes off of the joy giver, the truth, and you have set it on a lie. So here's what you can do. If you're being, if your joy, you feel robbed of your joy, think about what is it, what lie are you believing? So that you have let go of that joy. Because joy is that promise. It is yours. It is your birthright. No one takes it from you. The devil cannot take your joy from you. But he can lead you to believe a lie so that you let go of it. Joy unspeakable joy rises in my soul. Never lets me go. Because joy, peace, shalom is a person. Jesus was born to mend my brokenness, to mend my anger, to mend my criticism, my self-focus, because those things lead me to believe lies that tank my joy. True love incarnate was for this reason, to show me true love by his life and to pay for my sin that stands in the way between me and joy. So by faith, he redeemed me. I love that word redeem. You know, when 
my wife, she doesn't do this too much just because life is just so busy, but she used to coupon. You know what I mean? She would go through the Sunday paper, paper and she would clip out all of these coupons and she would have stacks of coupons and she would organize them and so on and so forth. And, <clears throat> and then she would go around and she would, various stores, and she would utilize these coupons. And you take that coupon and with that little piece of paper, you got something back. You redeemed the coupon. You got free stuff. We love that. You see, when Jesus redeemed me by the cross and his resurrection, that means, number one, he bought me so that I am his very own. I don't belong to the devil who had deceived me and blinded my eyes. I don't belong to the world. I am not a slave of its system any longer. I have been redeemed. I am the child of God with an inheritance, and I belong to him. But because I've been redeemed, I've been bought, he has washed away my sins. Because to be his own, something had to happen to my son. Because sin can never be in the presence of a holy God. I cannot have this relationship with my joy, my Savior, my God, because of my sin. And so redemption for me to be his means that something has to happen to my sin. So Jesus paid for it too and washed away my sin. So as his own, my life is his, and nothing happens to me that he cannot turn around for good. You see, he not only redeems me, he redeems all my problems, all my brokenness, everything that happens to me. Because I am his and I am his child, everything that happens to me happens under my shepherd's supervision. Every not one thing happens that he ends up thinking, oops, that one got by me. But understand this, even in the worst of my brokenness, and not just my brokenness, but the brokenness of other people, and in their brokenness that has hurt me, even in all of that, there is this amazing ability that God has, because I am his, that he's able to take those circumstances, either due to my brokenness or someone else's, and he is actually able to turn those around. Every single one of them. There's not one of them that he can't. This is, this is the concept of God's redemption. So strongly is this taught in the scriptures because it's rooted in the fact that Jesus, that excuse me, that joy, that peace, shalom, is a person. So strongly is this taught. You find it everywhere. This concept of redemption is everywhere. And in James 1, 2, it says this. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 
I didn't wake up this morning praying for trials. I, I didn't, church. I'm being honest with you. I, I, I may have prayed something like, come what may, question mark. But I know this is a truth because it's the promise of God that no matter what happens to me, no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is, my God, since I am his, my God is able to take that and turn it around. I, I want to ask you, do you believe this? Because this that I'm telling you is truth. But when we lose sight of that truth, that's when we begin to let go of joy. Because joy is a and my joy will be found in Christ, the way the truth and the life. Truth, if you will, was born in a stable, was born 2,000 years ago, was born as a baby with a purpose in mind to go to the cross to redeem me. Why? Quit me with truth, this relationship that no matter what happens to me, because I'm his, there is safety in his hand. Because I am his, no matter what happens to me, as hard as it is, I know that in the end, Jesus is going to win. Something is going to happen here, no matter how horrible the experience is. God is going to... God is going to bring forth. He is going to harvest goodness from that. It's when we lose sight of that, that we begin to feel abandoned, that we begin to feel, God, why did you let this happen? Have you just left me alone? And those are valid questions. I've asked those questions many times. Psalm 13, David did. He asked those really hard questions. But in asking those questions, and as you ask those questions, here's the challenge. Always come back to that person. Always come back to the truth that I will rejoice in his unfailing love, in his salvation, because he has been good. Jesus will be good to us always. We don't, we don't always see it. Sometimes these experiences cloud our thinking, and, and, and it, it, we feel like we're walking in the dark sometimes. That's why Scripture is a lamp unto your feet, right? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When the pain is there, the answer is not meditate. The answer is not find something that will anesthetize me to this pain that I'm going through. But the answer is Jesus. The truth, the promises, the fulfillment of everything that you are looking for. It's going to come back to Jesus. This is why Hallmark misses it. Do you ever look around in their movies? And I don't want to slam Hallmark. As a product of the world, it's doing the best they can. I understand that. But if you ever look around, all of their Christmas settings, 
every now and then you'll find a crash, never to bring your attention to it. But it's generally just the, the fluff and the paraphernalia of Christmas that in the end, apart from Jesus, is nothing. I want you to realize that when I am talking this way, I realize that there is a battle. Actually, if you look at the text, there is a battle on the brink of breaking out. There really is. You, you, you see it in one work, excuse me, one word that Luke uses. I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus being, that, that since that peace is a person and that is Jesus, that there were two battles involving a group of angels that tried to rob this world of everything that I'm telling you here, rob this world of this person, Jesus, and what he would accomplish, redemption for us, which will always be your source, source of joy. Two battles. We see one of them here, and it's found in one word. Let me read it to you. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. Did you hear it? Did, 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 did you hear it? Now, unfortunately, that word doesn't come out in the version that I just used. But the Greek word host, apart from something like this, like an angelic visitation, is always translated armies everywhere. Luke uses it in the book of Acts. It, it's, it's a word that regularly is translated armies. But we have difficulty. Why would an angelic army appear here? It just doesn't make sense. So most translators, uh, the vast majority of them don't translate it that way. Though the Greek translators of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint, whenever the phrase Lord of hosts is used, they talk about it being an army. And they use this Greek word for armies. This is an army. Remember when the commander of the Lord's army appeared to Joshua? He identified himself. as a, you're, you're familiar with the, the Lord of hosts? We, we call it the, the Lord Sabaoth. That's the Hebrew word, Sabaoth. It's army. And, and so because we don't see a battle on the horizon here, why translate it that way? And so they translate it. The, the accompany a, an angelic host. Let me just reference, and I'm going to do this twice now, Revelation chapter, two, Revelation chapter 12. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll just quickly read it. Let me tell you something that John doesn't, but John does. When Jesus is being born, and it says in chapter 12, verse 4, he uses imagery, and he says, <clears throat> the dragon, who is Satan, stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. Let's turn back. Mark, to, excuse me, to Luke 2. And I want to ask you this question. In Luke 2, where Jesus is being born, where is Satan? According to John, in this revelation, Satan is right there, ready to devour this child, Jesus, as soon as he is born. Luke tells us there is an angelic host, an army, 
declaring the glory of God, the birth of Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, the good news of great joy that has come to all people. And there they are, poised, ready to defend this little one. A little bit of time passes. Still protecting this little one. An angel then comes to Joseph in a dream. And he says, you know what? In the middle of the night, for me, worst time ever to receive a revelation from God that he wants me to do something. Because I will want to turn back over on my other side and fall asleep. Just confessing here. I'm not so sure if I were Joseph, I would have acted right away. And the angel appears to him in a dream and says, get up right now. Herod seeks the life of your child. You must leave. And they go to Egypt. And Herod sends his army, his army, to take the life of this child. This is Satan's last-ditch effort to take this child's life. They have already left, and they're on their way to Egypt. Safe, protected by this angelic army. Now, I did say that there were two times in which Scripture clearly says that there was a battle or a potential battle, that there was an angelic army fighting on behalf of Jesus. The second time is that Jesus crossed his death, and his resurrection. <clears throat> Revelation 12, the same passage, a little few verses later on, tells us about a war. It says, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon who is Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard, then at that moment when the battle was won, then I heard, John says, a loud voice in heaven say, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That battle, that battle that John is describing, it didn't take place at the creation of the world or just before the, the Garden of Eden. It didn't take place at the end of the age. It took place at the cross and the resurrection. Now has come the salvation of our God. Through the cross, through the resurrection, Michael and his angels fighting against the devil. A battle was fought. This angelic army against Satan defeated him. I want to tell you what. The devil knew that this prince of peace was, had come to redeem the world and in his last-ditch effort to try and win and overcome and stop the plan of God. This last-ditch effort, this, this battle, he lost. He lost by a long shot. Now, now this loud voice says, salvation has come. We actually... Read about the end result of this in Peter's first sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where he says that the grave was powerless to hold on to Jesus. That the grave, 
inevitably had to give him up, that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead could not hold Jesus down. The grave could not contain him. Death couldn't keep him down because the Prince of Peace inevitably rose from the dead to offer you this everlasting promise of life, of peace, of joy that's now your birthright. You see, for this reason, joy is not something that leaves you or is taken from you. It's because you begin to set your eyes on the eyes of the enemy. You know what? The devil can no longer accuse you before the Father. He, ha- he is speechless. If you want to put it in lawyer's terms, he has been disbarred from the heavenly courts. He no longer has our heavenly Father's ear. But the problem is, church, he has our ear. And we listen to him. And he's the father of lies and deceptions. And we listen to his lies. And we can feel abandoned by God. We can feel unloved, kicked to the curb. We can feel as if God has hung us out to dry. And all of these are lies. No matter how hard our life circumstance is, our God is right there. Because the Prince of Peace that rescued me and redeemed me, redeemed my life, the psalmist says, from the pit. He redeemed me for his purposes. And everything, every trial, he will turn around for my good and his glory. We then are are, are in this world as we are walking out this drama of God's grace in which at every moment that we face trial is an opportunity for God to bring glory to himself, to manifest, to show forth his grace at every point in your life. Are we going to believe the lie? Whatever that is that will tank your joy, or are we going to believe the truth? The devil fought so hard to keep this promise from us, this promise of redemption, to somehow hold it back, to thwart the plan of God, but he could not do it. With every bit of intentionality, you like that word, right, Juliana? Intentionality. With every bit of intentionality, the devil tried to thwart the plan of God and couldn't. Could not do it. God's plan was inevitable. God's plan for you, which is good, is inevitable. It's rooted in truth. And if we follow the truth, we will experience that joy. Every time, church, every time. Now, I understand that Hallmark Christmas movies are not the answer, but I will have to say there was one that we recently watched. And I actually appreciated something that they brought out in it. You're laughing. Okay, great. It actually was pretty good. It was. And this woman, of course, falls in love with this guy. She's a single mom, and her her son is having difficulties. And the, the, the young man that she falls for is 
is uh, finding his interests and really playing into them in a good way, okay? And he apparently gets bullied, and when he comes home, he marches upstairs, and he just feels all alone. He feels hurt. He is totally tired of being bullied. And so the young man says to his, his mom, he says, do you, do you mind if, you know, like guy to guy, I go up and talk with him? And she says, well, okay. So he goes upstairs and he sits down and he begins to tell of a time when he was bullied. And he says, you know what I did? And this is interesting. He, he, he said this, I killed him with kindness. Now, we, we understand what he's talking about there. I killed him with kindness. And so th the little boy, he, he's, he's tucked away in his tent, okay? And he comes out and he says, so how did you do that? And he talks about different things that he did to show him love. And he says this. He says, you know what? You're going to be in this uh, Boy Scouts Derby race, I think it was. He says, why don't you invite him to that? Why don't you invite, maybe it was, maybe it was, no, 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 you know what, it was, I'm sorry, it was a, a hockey game, okay, and he invited him to the hockey game, another way that the, he, this guy built a bridge to his son, and so he invited his friend that had bullied him to a hockey game, and the guy loved it, and then he went to the derby race as well, and out of this bullying experience in which an enemy could have emerged, this little boy, equipped with a truth. Now, granted, Hallmark didn't say where that truth came from. That truth is actually found in the Bible from Jesus. But equipped with that truth, he made a friend. A potential enemy that he turned that difficult situation around to make a friend. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Understanding that Jesus is your joy. All of your joy will eventually come back to this person, Jesus. Every situation that you're facing right now, that you feel like is tanking your joy, that situation is not robbing you of your joy. It may cause you to believe lies, and you're giving up that joy. Here's what I want you to do. You may want to write this down is the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now. Write down what lie you're believing. And right next to that lie, write the truth. What is the truth? The truth was not that this bully is ruining my life. But I tell you what, that little 10, 12-year-old boy, it sure felt that way. Oh, it sure felt that way. I remember when I was in, what was it, third grade? I had some bullies, two of them, in sixth grade that seemed to tank my joy. They controlled me, and eventually, and I won't tell you how, but eventually, God got rid of them. They were no longer able to ride the bus, but God got rid of them. And I tell you what, it was terrible. I hated it. I hated going on the bus every day, going to school, coming back every day. But you see, it's, it's as we rely on the truth and look to it, as we look to Jesus, that truth about Jesus is what fills us with joy. So what lie are you believing? 
What truth is it that you need to believe and lay hold of that truth? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You know, that carol goes on to say joy to the world. How? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Will you stand with me? I want to encourage you that this morning, if you feel that you're being robbed of joy, that joy is yours. But maybe what you need to do, maybe what you need to do is make room for that truth. Make room for Jesus. And allow him to maybe to, for the first time, come into your life and change your life as the redeemer, as the one who rescues you from your own brokenness.